Dead men tell no tales. Fifty men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show. Yeah? Supercharged Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. It's the daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis. No, it's the first and longest running Pirates of the Caribbean fan cast, which broadcasts five and sometimes six bloody freaking days a week. See, you messed it up. That's right. Now you just got shamed. You got shamed into uh, leaving Port Royal, just like the Commodore. Uh, I'm Scott Artis from ScottArtis.com. I'm Scott Artis from ScottArtis.com. See how much smoother that was? It was like an aged glass of whiskey. Smooth. Aged is the key word there. (laughs) (laughs) And then we got you, the martini, shaken and stirred like a crazy man. (laughs) And I'm Heather Artist from BlackPearlMinute.com. I'm surprised you even knew where you were from today. <laughs> just because in general you don't. You just wander around. In a, really? Yeah, a daze. Thanks for joining us for Minute 5 of Dead Man's Chest. Minute 5 already! I know. We have hit Minute 5 already. It's like Only 145 to go. to go. Yeah, it'll be here before you know it. In the previous minute, because I'm not going to... Waste anybody's time. I'm just going to jump right into it. No news, no updates, nothing. Let's just go for it. That's what I'm suggesting. Okay. And since I captained this vessel, I am saying, in the previous minute, Cutler Beckett, Lord Cutler Beckett, sends shutters down the spine of Governor Swan with a warrant for the arrest of Will Turner? Woo! And a sigh. And he thought Elizabeth was in danger. Finally, high society justice as bad boy Will gets the shackles and suddenly Elizabeth is now available for the smart... Fine choice of Commodore Norrington. The Dancing for Joy governor realizes the best laid plans of governors and Commodores often go awry when you have a strong, young, pirate-loving woman to wrangle, especially when you're nested between a couple of mannequin soldier impersonators. The choked-up governor gives an opportunity for attention-seeking Beckett to chime in with that punishment, regrettably, is also dot dot dot. Minute 5 begins with Beckett letting him know that the long-awaited punishment is also death. He moves in closer and begins to explain the reason for the charges by saying, Perhaps you remember a certain pirate named Jack Sparrow. Simultaneously, Will and Elizabeth respond, Captain! The minute ends with a flock of ravens, and I'll have more on that in a bit, fly over a ship's mast across the dark waters and towards an ominous-looking island and cliff-like edifice that can only be described as originating in Lord of the Rings. Hey! Lord of the Rings Minute! (laughs) Shout out to our podcast, Movies by Minute colleagues out there. No wonder you're Uh, laughing at me. Lord of the Rings. You can't just leave people hanging with an inside joke because we both know that at the end of this minute it looks like it is something from Lord of the Rings. It does. And you mentioned that after you watch it. I'm looking for Gollum. 
Yeah, no kidding. I swear. It really is. It's like, weren't we in Pirates movie? Now we're in Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth. I, I have looks like Rib Gibbs is in the wrong movie. Yeah, he is in the wrong movie. <laughs> that is for sure. He's he's moved over to Mount Doom of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Where's Gollum? No kidding. Yeah, it is in the wrong movie. It's like they forgot where the set Which was or they were they doing were the CGI stuff. They just borrowed some stuff yeah. like from the cutting room floor or leftover files. Hey, I found this on Peter Jackson's computer and I figured... We could probably use some of this animation that they already did. It'll save us some money, some CGI effects money. So they went ahead and uh, spliced in some uh, Lord of the Rings content there. I thought I was watching the wrong movie. That I think everybody was. So I'm really excited about the Ravens. I really am. Oh, and I have some interesting historical tidbits to share straight from the vellum pages of the 15th century of with that, too. Of course you do. Plus, it's bird stuff and always a subject that touches close to home since I work for Urban Bird Foundation. Not that I really deal with ravens, but... Ravens are cool. They're big, giant, smart, yeah. uh, monstrous birds. Yeah. Pretty cool. But I guess we need to adhere to some sort of order in our chaotic minds, so I'll save the raven stuff for later. Because we can jump on to Captain Jack Sparrow right now. How? Oh, there's a connection. I got it. Like Governor Swan in the previous minute or two, Tom Hollander steps up to the plate and steals the show. He delivers on this villain character thing that he's doing. Well, maybe he gives us this performance where we realize how much we're going to dislike this guy in the movie kind of deal with him. I mean, he really yeah. is setting himself up as a bastard. Oh, yeah. He's, he's pure evil here. Well, I wouldn't say pure evil, but he really is. is. He's pure evil then, okay. I mean, I was going to say more like a villainous nature of Cutler Beckett. No. And he has the honor of being the first to drop Jack Sparrow's name in the movie. Oh, yeah. There you go. He's the one who brings up Jack Sparrow. Captain Jack Sparrow. That's right. I mean, his forceful but calm nature. It's like he delivers a matter of fact. Playing the, I'm not the judge here, just the bearer of bad news. We all get the slimy feeling about him. Yeah, we're looking at you, Mr. Beckett. <laughs> but doesn't he, he kind of plays that, I'm just bringing you the news aspect of things. Yeah, he but does. he does it in the smirky, yeah, well, I know he does it under in a smirky evil way. way. Yeah. He does an underhanded way, not an under evil way. I don't know what that means. <laughs> under evil. <laughs> under evil? What is this, an airplane joke? <laughs> over and under, over, under. <laughs> No, not under evil. I don't even know what that means. But he does it in kind of a way that, yeah, of course it's smirky and slimy. But he's also kind of playing this, oh, I'm just delivering the news. That's how I see it. He even moves in for the kill, though. So I get what you're saying because he goes for that close-up. It's not maybe a kill, but more of a close-up. By letting him know that, yeah, close talker. Another Seinfeld reference already. By letting him... Know that, yeah, that little stunt you pulled saving Jack from the gallows finally got to the Crown and to the East India Company, which obviously gives us a reason for their being arrested, of course. But more importantly, the whole thing hinges, well, sets up. It's like the door to the hinges or however that works, the the door frame to the hinges and doors or whatever. But it sets up a long-running Curse of the Black Pearl joke. It's Captain Jack Sparrow. Not just Jack Sparrow. It's Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> So we don't even have Jack Sparrow in the scene, yet we're doing a Captain Jack Sparrow joke. That's just interesting. It's like, how could we get a Captain Jack Sparrow joke in here without actually having Captain Jack Sparrow in the scene? And then they came up with this little tidbit. 
Because apparently even Jack's continual pursuit of being recognized by his title has seeped into the minds of Elizabeth and Will here. I mean, what do you think of the joke? I mean, what do you think of this joke breaking up the serious nature of the moment? I'm not, I didn't get it as a joke, I guess. It wasn't ha 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 funny. Not all jokes are laugh out loud funny, you knee slapper. I mean, seriously. Okay, I, I, a tongue in cheek moment. I got but it. But I think it was supposed it more, to be a laugh. I took it more as they're throwing it in Beckett's face, kind of, that it's Captain. And then even Elizabeth goes, grits her teeth and says, Captain Jack Sparrow. You know, like, call him, respect him type of thing. Well, I think that's part of it. Which is interesting because this isn't actually the first joke like this that was made. It's not really a joke, but a first play on this type of words. Because when Governor Swan sees Cutler Beckett, he actually said, it's Lord now. Yeah. It's actually Lord. And so he had already done a Captain Jack Sparrow thing. So if anybody wants to be called by their title, Beckett should appreciate that. And he should have just said Captain Jack Sparrow. This, This world is all about titles and they need to all respect that. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. But I personally like this kind of inside joke. It's like you get this joke if you've seen The Curse of the Black Pearl. And if you didn't, uh, shame on you. Because it's played with a straight face by Kira and Orlando, really. Well, not quite a straight face. They're a little upset. Yeah, but, you know, they're not like laughing or smiling when they're saying it. They're not making it an obvious joke. Do you really need jokes spelled out for you? Do you need a laugh track going on? That's what I want to know. No. Do you need the obvious signs that a joke is being perpetrated upon the audience? No. Okay, then. Because that's why it works for me. Because it's less about Captain Jack Sparrow and it's more about this power struggle between Beckett and Will and Elizabeth, just like you were saying. Yeah. The two noose buddies, as we can call them, are really flexing their (laughs) muscles as much as possible here. The noose buddies. Did you steal that from me again? The noose buddies? You seem to be stealing everything from me. You didn't call them the noose buddies. No, but I got something close to that. In your notes, you have something close yeah. to that? Well, turnabout is fair play, as I remember this last season, it happened all over the place. Yeah, the new buddies. But they're really, like, trying to show this dude that they're not a force to be reckoned with. But also, I think they're doubling down on their belief that helping Jack escape was the right move. It was the moral move. No matter what the Crown, the Warrant, or Beckett says, Jack did not deserve to swing that day. And this is... Like such a telling moment in that brief scene, and it gives us a clue as to where they are, or where they still are, maybe, in regards to Jack. Yeah. It's not like over this year that they've come to hate him. resent or hate yeah. him. They still respect and think of him as somebody maybe who helped them out, or was a pirate colleague. And, right. You know, he wasn't a, a enemy. He was a teacher. He was a frenemy. He was, yes, a frenemy. He was a teacher. He he actually saved them, and they saved him. Exactly. I mean, it's not like they're immediately looking at each other saying, Damn it, Will, I knew you shouldn't have saved Jack. Right. You know, like, bad move. No, they really back each other up completely here. And I think that goes to just increase the relationship that they have, I guess. Right. They've got a great relationship. relationship. Sure be nice to have one like that. Ah, we can all dream. Ah. Should cue the, uh, the dream music, the dream sequence <laughs> yes. music. It's like a harp or something like that. <laughs> that would uh, make more sense. By the way, it appears Tom Hollander had some regrets after filming of his part in the franchise here. I guess he wasn't too happy with his Pirates of the Caribbean paycheck. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> it was a little on this 
Gippy side form? Well, I don't know. I'm Apparently so, but it's not like I had any numbers associated with it. And I didn't really go to look up any numbers, but... I just caught an article from 2013 in which he recalls that while the production was a staggeringly expensive extravaganza, he was badly paid. Speaking at the Names Not Numbers Festival at Alderberg in Suffolk, the actor said that whenever he was allowed time off, he got as far away from the set as possible. And he's quoted as saying, it was a way of getting my own back. When they changed the schedule at the last minute, I would say, that's fine, but I'm in Calcutta. And they would say, no problem. And I'd be airlifted out of that third world in Lufthansa first class. Huh. So he was just a little bit fed up with the schedule. And just when I was reading on in the article a bit, it sounded like he was also a little uh, bitter about the whole Johnny Depp thing. Because it was, oh, if Johnny Depp had a cold, then we'd have to postpone the scene for some weeks or maybe months. And then they'd have to bring us all back. So it's like he almost was bitter that Johnny Depp was the big star of the movie and not him. I don't know. You said this article is a 2013? 2013, yeah. Why? Well, it was just so many years after this movie. Well, they were actually talking to him about another thing and it just kind of came up in the conversation with the reporter. He's a little bitter about it then if that's the case. That's right. That's I mean, what I'm seven saying. years later? That's what I'm saying, that he was somewhat bitter yeah. about this whole thing. Goodness. And just bitter about Johnny Depp, and they was even commenting how he and some of the other actors, they'd kind of all converge in Miami before flying out to some of the Caribbean places. And so the actors would be the ones that would be in the first class kind of smoking room, because he was saying, nobody else smokes anymore, but the actors do, because we all have some anxiety. So it was like... uh Jeffrey Rush and himself and whoever else was in there. No, I don't remember. All the but, Brits? Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, they're the ones that were smoking. All the Europeans were still smoking. <laughs> they would converge in this room and so they would talk about that. But it looked like they were just he was just a little bitter about this pay. Huh. And he was a little bitter about the fact that the star of the movie, Johnny Depp, would basically if he got sick, then the whole shoot had to be rescheduled around their schedule. So this is why he was commenting, Well, I'm not even in town and you want me to come back all of a sudden. Huh. So ah, uh, bitter apples there for some reason. I mean that's it's seven years later. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and I mean that really helped propel him, I think, too, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Some stuff. I mean he did a fine job in it, so I don't know what a fine job was going on. But getting back to our Elizabeth Our Elizabeth? Yeah, she obviously wears the pants in the family, as we were talking about yesterday. And she is the one who, like you already said earlier, reiterates that it's Captain. Meanwhile, you can even see Will, like, muttering under his breath. Did you see his lips moving on that? After he says it's Captain, and then, you know, they do the simultaneous thing. And then she actually, when his lips are moving, when she says it's Captain. So he's saying her lines for I don't know. That's what I was wondering. (laughs) Or he's reminding her of her lines? I don't know. It's like he got caught reciting his lines. Or, like, he's taking a back seat to Elizabeth. Maybe that's part of his character. And basically saying the same thing she is. He's like a beaten dog. So, that's the choices. He's either reciting his lines or maybe he got something stuck in his mouth or his teeth and he's trying to get it out. Or, his character is so beat down by the manhandling Elizabeth that she steps up when he really wanted to say it's Captain again and take that lead. But he knew he couldn't. And so, he just had to go, it's Captain. But he kind of does it under his breath. Trying to get a word in edgewise, which he's not successful because Elizabeth Swan actually steps up to do that. Yeah. But look at it. Something happens. His lip. He's either reciting her lines. 
he's mumbling it under his own breath or he's trying to think of what the hell is going on. Maybe he's mumbling to himself, God, that guy over there hasn't moved in five minutes since we've been doing the scene <laughs> talking about that soldier over there. Maybe he's muttering, man, I wish that soldier, that guard would get off my woman. That's possible too. I mean, look how, close, look how close he is to her. He's practically hugging her around the waist. You're the one who would probably be doing the same thing. Hugging Elizabeth around yeah. the waist? Why would I do that? I don't know, but... That's weird. I think you would. You said you just you were you liked her look even when she yeah. was wet, so now... Oh my goodness. Whatever. I said, I said she didn't look bad, I, even wet. Okay, that's what I'm trying to clarify here. This guy is also thinking that. Well, and he's course. just like, hey, I can go to the bar later and say, yeah... I had a rough day. I was hugging Elizabeth Swan. I mean, I was hugging Kara Knightley. Had to do all this stuff and everybody being crowded around him thinking he's the man. And But when he's that close to her, did you see how angry he looks? He's sexually frustrated now. <laughs> he's all, dang it. He's something, man. He's like, I'm right here. God. Maybe she earlier she told him, you know, hey, it's not going to happen between us, buddy. Maybe. And so... He, he was angry with her. Well, he got the point that, like, wow, she's letting me hug her already. And so he thought... He took it as a clue because the guys are idiots. And they take all these little clues to the wrong level. It. And he did that. He forgot that he was, oh, actually playing a part in a movie. He thought this was a real kind of flirtatious thing. He wanted to take it to the next level. And she says, what are you talking about? My name's not actually Elizabeth Swan. It's Kara Knightley. And we're not talking to each other after this. <laughs> Maybe that's why he's angry. Maybe. But either way, there's a beat down. He got a beat down and then Will is obviously beat down. Oh, obviously. Because he's not allowed to talk or something. I mean, somebody help that son of a pirate. I mean, somebody really needs to help that guy. <laughs> and speaking of beat downs, I got a beat down for the audience. Yeah. I hope Don't everyone's... beat our audience down? Well, it's a good beat down, kind of. Oh, okay. Maybe. I mean, because I hope everyone's not getting that damn, it's history again vibe. Because guess what? If you are, you have second sight, my friend. Yes, I have some history to share. It's a very fine and hard to spot detail on both Will and Governor Swan. Hanging from their hats are like this coin-sized medallion or badge that has a crown on it. I don't know if you noticed it. I noticed the medallion. But did you notice the fine detail no. on it? Because you can see it decently on a few screenshots, but then it gets kind of shadowed out or blurred as they're moving or it's just hard to see. But sure enough, it's a crown. And mind you, I'm now entering Scott Thinks territory here. Oh, but I no. believe it has to do with British heraldry because it looks awfully like, ready for it, St. Edward's crown. <laughs> yeah, St. Edward's crown. I pulled that out. I said that. I know everybody was thinking it out there. Oh, I was. You were like, oh my God, that's St. Edward's crown. Yep, and I said, yeah, exactly. that's probably what it is. Because St. Edward's crown is one of the oldest crown jewels of the United Kingdom and the centerpiece of the coronation regalia. Remember when I was part of that coronation regalia? Yep. I mean, it was good times. It really was good times. Back that, in those days. Yeah, back in those days. It also reminds me that I need to call the queen because it's been a while since we chatted. But, ah, uh, the good old days. Named after Edward the Confessor. See, that's what I like. They all had these cool names. And that's why I decided I was giving Beckett a name. Beckett the Composed. I think we should really do this for everybody. You know, Scott the Captain. You hmm. the Tennille, as we talked about last no. season. Oh, yeah. I mean, it has traditionally been used to crown English and British monarchs at their coronation ceremonies. The current version was made for the coronation of Charles II in 1661. And that's the current version, y'all. 
The crown itself is 12 inches tall and weighs 4.9 pounds and is set with, guess how many semi-precious stones it's set with? Take a stabby at it. Chop, chop, stab, stab at it. 40. 444 semi-precious <laughs> stones, including 345 rose-cut aquamarines, 37 white topazes, 27 tourmalines, 12 rubies, 7 amethysts, 6 sapphires, sapphires, Sassfires. Sassafirilla. Is that sarsaparillas? Yeah, sarsaparillas. Six sapphires, two jargoons, one garnet, one spinel, and a carbuncle. <laughs> yeah, wait, jargoons and got one me. <laughs> carbuncle. So yeah, six sapphires, two jargoons, one garnet, and a spinel and carbuncle. There you go. Imitation pearls. I just had to be able to sing again. Everybody loves it oh, out there. They got it, the right tune for the right time of year. So, so they have all of that, and then. Here's the kicker. kicker. Imitation pearls on the arches. What? <laughs> yeah. Why? I don't know. Imitation pearls. That's weird. Come on, you guys. You already got 444 semi-precious stones. How about you just go the extra step yeah. and put some real pearls on that That's thing. That's weird. Come on. Imitation pearls on the arches and base were replaced with gold beads, though, which at the time were platinum plated. It was also made smaller to fit George V. The first monarch to be crowned was St. Edward's crown in over 200 years. But I digress because the significance for us, and that's Pirates of the Caribbean or Governor Swan and Will Turner, is that the crown's image is dangling on a brass or copper medallion from their hats. This crown. So what does that mean? That's the big question. So presumably, images based on the crown are used in coats of arms, badges, logos, and various other insignia throughout the Commonwealth realms to symbolize the monarch's royal authority. And since the governor oversees Port Royal, it's signifying that this is indeed, and he, and Port Royal, and all that stuff, are under the rule of the king. But my question is, why does Will have it? Is it because he's joining the family? This is kind of a royal wedding. Maybe it's blessed by the king. He was pardoned he's by the king. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know. But he has it. I can see the governor having it, but Will also has it maybe because he's joining the family. Maybe. But anyways, that's what I got from it. That's the, the history for today. There you go. Crown jewels. And imitation pearls. Yeah, with imitation pearls. But they were changed to gold beads later on. So at least they went gold. But if we can get back to the movie, we have a new location. I mean, it's just been brutal for like two minutes or three minutes. We've had to sit through this fake Port Royal when it's really Palos Verdes, California. There's some nice camera work that is actually going on in this transition point here. Because Gibbs is singing 15 men on a dead man's chest. Shots of rigging and sails moving in the wind. Sounds of the ocean. The creaking of the ship's hull. And Gibbs is walking on the deck. And of all things, out of character. Really out of character. He takes a swig of rum. What is that? That's totally out of character. Yeah, it's strange. I didn't see Gibbs as a drinker. He just wasn't. Not something I really saw him as. Pig you, sleeper. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say wallowing with the pigs isn't. Yeah, is it the sign? It's a whole different thing. It's not. Uh, they're not connected. Okay, but people do change seriously. Seriously, I'm serious. Can I say that enough? <laughs> How many times did you say that? <laughs> like a hundred. Again, we get back to the opening parallels idea that I talked about, and that's what's so serious about this opening parallels between this movie and Curse of the Black Pearl. Here's another instance to add to that evidence bag that we have. Our introduction to Gibbs in Curse of the Black Pearl, he has a, well, a hit from his flask, like Heather does routinely during our show. He has a bottle. And he drinks from a bottle here. Yes. Did you just hear what I said? You missed the whole thing, because Curse of the Black Pearl, he takes a hit from the flask right from his coat I pocket. I heard it after I said bottle. 
Then he takes a drink from the bottle here. And then there's also a creepy pirate song being sung on a ship with an unnatural fog. I mean, let's call it, of course, he's still superstitious. Yeah, I thought we weren't supposed to sing in, a natu- in an unnatural fog. Yeah, because he does really have to say, I mean, it tells us that there's bad luck. But when he hears something that catches his superstitious radar here, then he looks overhead, there's a flock of ravens that are followed by the camera heading towards Mordor or some other <laughs> wicked place that we really don't quite Mount know Doom. yet. <laughs> yeah, Mount Doom, whatever it is, yet to be seen that we'll kind of save for minute six. But we do get Gibbs and Ravens. And as you were just saying, and I'm sure we all remember out there, it's bad luck to be singing about pirates, especially when mired in a natural fog. Exactly. Kind of mired that up. Mired in an unnatural fog. There are so many It's difficult there. to say. Everybody, everybody. I mean, so what the hell, Gibbs? Why are you singing about pirates? You're breaking your own damn rule. Right? Exactly. Maybe it's the drink. It's probably the drink. He got all over Elizabeth Swan when he was a little girl. But I think he was more just perturbed that there was a woman on board. Mm. That's what really irritated him. that's bad luck too. That's what irritated him. Then he was just piling it all on. But yeah, he's singing. And would Gibbs actually be singing on a ship? Whether it's in a harbor or on the ocean, would he actually be singing at all? When there's a fog around especially. Not a fog, no. So is this out of character then for Gibbs to sing? Or is he really just liquored up? I think he's just... Did you see him walking? I did see him walking. He's a in. Well, maybe that's what it is. I mean, I can see you got to walk with some space between your legs so that on a ship so you can balance better. But he's really got him spread out waddling down the deck. <laughs> he doesn't want to fall over. There's nobody else out there. He'd be out there all night. But it really is just another parallel to the opening of The Curse of the Black Pearl that I spotted there. Yeah. That is just... Point blank right there. Exactly. A lot of uh, circle things going on. It's uh, Star Wars Minute would call it the ring theory. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, Star Wars Minute. All these things are happening. Nope. Lord of the Rings You said theory. the ring theory. I said Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings theory. Mount Doom. Okay. Sorry, Star Wars Minute. We'll have to just go with the Lord of the Rings references this time. <laughs> In Greek mythology, ravens are associated with Apollo, the god of prophecy, which is what I'm also referred to, the god of prophecy. They are said to be a symbol of bad luck and were the gods' messengers in the mortal world. According to the mythological narration, Apollo sent a white raven or a crow in some variations to spy on his lover, Coronis. So what are these ravens prophesizing? That's my question. And what manner of bad luck are they going to bring to uh, Mr. Gibbs? The Eye of Mordor. (laughs) (laughs) Saruman. Oh, Saruman. The Eye of Saruman. Oh. oh, what are those creatures? The orcs? The orcs. That's what he's prophesizing. That's what's coming? Yeah. Well, that is bad luck. You don't want a bunch of orcs overrunning you. <laughs> I hope you have the right sword. <laughs> That's for right. The orcs. You can see that it glows. Yes. This isn't Lord of the Rings, man. Why are you bringing so much of this up? That's what I'm Because curious. it looks like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it does look like Lord of the Rings, but that's at the very last like 10 seconds or 5 seconds. What we're talking about now is the ravens because they really yeah, but- do give Gibbs like a startle. Yes, I do. Additionally, the raven is generally thought to be a symbol of sadness, loss, and death in most European countries. However, it really is considered to be a guide in Africa and a symbol of the sun in China and Japan. And then you can go down this huge giant list of all these other symbols across different countries and cultures of what the raven does. So it's like almost like a pick your symbol for the raven. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. 
So I wonder which Gibbs. I chose the bad ones because that's just my personality. What? Gibbs must choose the bad ones also. Of course, because like I said, it's generally a symbol of kind of that bad luck. Yes. For our friends up in the north, though, the common raven is the official bird of the Yukon in Canada. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Good eye, mates. <laughs> That's Australian. Yukon in Canada, <laughs> and you're saying good day, mates. Wow. Cultural appropriation. I... Canada is now, now, now taking the, uh, the catchphrase. Isn't it of, I, as they say all the time? I. 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 What, what are you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> I, you don't. Because I is pirate speak. <laughs> That's why they say that. I. <laughs> I, I'm from Canada. Notice, by the way, I say I. Oh. Oh, man. <laughs> this has gone to the... Yeah, it has, because you, thank you. A flock of ravens is not quite correct, though, because I'm getting into the more raven speak. If we want to keep things in, in the old school vernacular, a group of ravens in the day were called a conspiracy. A conspiracy not of a ravens. Murder? No, that's a murder of crows, which is my yeah, favorite. Yeah, I figured they'd be the same. A favorite grouping of animals called the murder of crows. A conspiracy of ravens. Yeah, huh? but it gets better. But it was more often and more common to refer to a group of ravens as an unkindness of ravens. Huh. An unkindness. That's awesome. Not as good as murder. Not as good as murder, but it is pretty cool. And now that really kind of gets to the dire nature of murder of crows. But it's not quite there like you're saying. I mean, it's there. It's like they're not quite the bad boys like the crows are. Yes. So they're unkind, but they won't harm you. Whereas crows coming in, that's murder time. It's murder. So I did a little digging. That's in really where I came up with that. Because the earliest known collection of terms of venery, which is really this archaic term for hunting, is in the book of St. Albans, a kind of handbook on manliness, first published in 1486. Hunting, manliness, okay. Yeah, 1486, you need they a needed book to, on to tell you how to... Be a man. Exactly, because back then, they were just so soft. They are all in their huts, little houses or cottages, playing games. They didn't have any work to do with all the leisure time that we talked about before. So they actually had to have books to teach them how to be men back then. So yeah, 1486. In fact... I'm going to tell you right now, this is not some like Wikipedia information or something like that that I just pulled out. I actually have a digitized version of this handwritten book in all its English spelling glory. Not old English, though, but let's just say earlier than modern English. So there are some weird phrases and words and sometimes you can't even hardly read it. <laughs> Included among chapters on hawking and the blazing of arms was a list of the companies of beasties and fowlies. That's what it was listed as. <laughs> And trust me, the spelling on this stuff is just like beasties, for instance, is B-E-E-S-T-Y-S. Huh. So notice that also beasties is something Jack Sparrow says in the movies yeah. or would say. So it's pretty interesting. But where many of our common terms of venery made their first appearances was in this book in 1486. For example, Pride of Lions is in there along with a flock of sheep and a herd of deer. Oh, really? Yeah. This book had a whole huge list of them. Wow. And of course... Listed in there was an unkindness of ravens. Huh. So if you're able to read the text, there is really some interesting stuff in this, like, book of Middle Ages and hunting and such things. Like, there's uh, the properties of good greyhound and hunting hares. These are some of the chapters in there. Manly stuff, you know? Manly <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, an unkindness of ravens is, like, straight from the Middle Ages. And I read it straight from the book. So there you go. No shortcuts there. I didn't... 
go to Wikipedia to get that. I went straight to the source. Wow. That's right, I did. You read a book. <laughs> Didn't read a book. Hold your horses there. <laughs> oh. I skimmed a book and found what I needed, and then that's it. Oh, How okay. dare you? Trying that's, to say that I'm cultured and read books? And that's, that's ridiculous. That's more uh, more like you. Yeah, that is more like me. But I'm actually going to post a link to the PDF version of this book in our Cursed Listeners crew on Facebook. And should any of you want... Should any should any of you want to digitally flip through the pages? There's even a modern introduction and glossary to some of the antiquated words and spellings and phrases. So if you're into old manuscripts and things like that, it is pretty fascinating. One of the things I like and I would kind of like to do more of is collecting, not that I need more collections, but is really collecting more old manuscripts because I have some old ones that stretch back to the 1300s, which let's just say that's awesome. I just love having that. Something that somebody touched so long ago, it's just incredible to me. It's like 700 years old. It's bizarre. I mean, seriously, right? Right. Handwritten from the 700 years ago. And then I have some that show kind of different types of printing evolution and stages from handwritten to archaic late 1400s printing press techniques to the 1500s and then some books, you know, 1500s to the 1700s. So it's just cool to see that. Right. So if you want to go and check that out, I will post that, that digitized copy and you can... Have fun with it at your leisure. And you can also see what other kinds of crazy animal groupings were called, at least that originated back in the 1400s. So you can find our group from the Facebook page or go to our website. That'll link to the Facebook group. And then you can go ahead and do that and get the link. I'll have that posted. Okay. I hope I have it posted. I'll have it posted. Speaking of old manuscripts and things of old, Gibbs is singing Dead Man's Chest. And as we know from minute two, everybody's paying attention here. That song was not written until the late 1800s by Robert Louis Stevenson. By who? Robert Louis Stevenson. Okay, and I'm going to let it slide this time for Gibbs, because he is a man ahead of his time. We know this. But next time, he may not be so lucky, so quit singing songs that weren't written then. <laughs> Maybe Robert Louis Stevenson stole it from Gibbs. That's possible. We have had some hypotheses like that in the past, that this is something that was an incarnation of Gibbs. And it was just handed down, and Robert Louis Stevenson is laying claim to it when really Gibbs, the pirate, had actually penned this song. Exactly. See? There you go. See? It's weird that it has the same tune, considering, so it must have had some sheet music with it. Maybe that was the sheet music that got wet, and it was apparently oh, lost to history. there you go. You know, Elizabeth's walking down the aisle. They're going to be singing and playing the song <laughs> Dead Man's Chest. It's beautiful, beautiful wedding songs. <laughs> I mentioned earlier in the week we would... Probably talk a little bit more about the musical score, but you know, now I'm not so sure I really want to jump into that, tackle that beast right now. <laughs> I mean, there's some returning credits given to Klaus Bedelt for composing the theme, his work on the Curse of the Black Pearl, as you recall. I'm sure everybody out there just recalls that. Other names we talked about in season one include Bob Badami. He's one of Bob our Badami. name picks from the credits. And then there's some new ones to the franchise like Lauren Balfe to name one of a few composers who did work on additional music for the film. Of course, the big daddy is Hans Zimmer, who takes over the music credit here, as opposed to his protege and colleague Klaus that we had last time. Maybe in, like when we get to some significant like music score pieces, we can jump on that instead of now, when we don't really have big music tracks happening right now. Yeah. I mean, are you good with that? I'm good with that. All right, we're good with that. And actually, the real reason is specifically because I almost forgot we needed to include really bad eggs. And especially after I teased you about forgetting the pirate word of the week, I didn't want to go down that road myself and forget something that I would be. Because you wouldn't have remembered either, probably, I'm guessing. You probably don't have something. And then I'd be belittled 
on Monday. I do have it. And I would have reminded you. Damn it! See, I'm glad I I'm glad I stuck with that because and wrote something down because otherwise I'd have been left out and I can't even imagine trying to come back from that belittling. That'd be horrible. It would be. Okay. Before so- we get there, I have one thing. What I wanted to point out that it looks like Will and Elizabeth will be. Marrying on the noose. Yeah, as of right now, they're, they're noose couple. Yep. They're noose buddies, as I said. Exactly. When their punishment is death, they will be marrying on the noose. Yeah, it'd be like the corpse bride thing going on there. Yep, that's it. That's it? Yep. Okay. So I guess we'll, because it is Friday, it's the end of the week, we can jump into really bad eggs. And what does that mean? Uh, I used to say it back then. What did I say? Uh, it's time for really bad eggs. Strike your colors, you blooming cockroaches. Hands, grapnels at the ready. Prepare to board. It's time for Really Bad Eggs. Now that I think about that, that's a little too game showy. It's like, hey, <laughs> Plinko time. <laughs> What's next? You know? Nah, yeah, maybe I need to change that up instead of being too game showy. That's weird. Okay, Really Bad Eggs. I mean, that's the weekly segment where we each highlight our favorite lines from the last five minutes. Should you, anybody out there in the listening audience have a favorite line feel free to share that with us on social media or even shoot us an email at podcast at blackpearlminute.com or you can even call us at 8637 pirate and say this is my uh favorite line of the week or my favorite line and this is why you're awesome or man is Heather's Heather belittling awesome you again and Scott is not well, that's just rude. But yeah, you could potentially do that. And we'll probably play your clip on the show. Just because we have nothing better to do. <laughs> so what do you have for us on our inaugural week of season two? I'm going for the burn for Cutler Beckett. You're feeling the burn? I'm feeling the burn. We're going to go with Will. In the category of questions not answered. I think this uh, this was a pretty cool line. It was one thing you said was a burn on Cutler Beckett. But also, it showed the initiative Will was going to take until Elizabeth cut him off. Yeah. <laughs> he actually had a snappy comeback. Yeah. And then but she then cut it gets him off. overshadowed by Elizabeth. Man, that Elizabeth is a tension seeker hog. Yeah. She really has to go all out for that. Yep. Yeah, that's a good line. It's a good funny line. Yeah. I really it's liked a it. Poetic line in a way. Yeah. But it, it's something that just seems like something Will would say, too. So it fits, I think, with his character, and it has some poetry to it. But it really was slim pickings, especially since we have more of a like a musical score thing that's doing all the dirty work for us here. Yeah. We only have a few lines in the, the last Very bit. few. But I'm going to go with Dear Cutler Beckett when he responded to Governor Swan saying, This warrant is for Elizabeth and not Will. Oh, is it? That's annoying. My mistake. Arrest her. (laughs) That's annoying. I love that. That's annoying. It's my favorite part of that. See, that's why I was saying he's kind of this guy on the fence just delivering message. I mean, this is so Lord Cutler Beckett. Honestly. I mean, is there like ever more a perfect line for this character? Maybe there is. Maybe we'll find one later in the movie. But this right now is the epitome of this guy. And I mean, like I said, maybe I'll find something later on that... Kind of fits this pompous, smug dude. But this one takes the cake. I mean, again, he plays the bit like he's aloof a little bit. Yeah. I'm just the messenger, but I hold all the power kind of guy. Right. Because it's like, oh, by the way, Governor Swan, I'm going to drop this bomb on you. It's like he's having little inside jokes with himself. Like, this will be funny if I 
accidentally give him the one for Elizabeth Swan first and you know yeah but this is for Elizabeth Swan oh my god I'm so sorry <laughs> yeah but we're still gonna have to arrest her but here's the one for <laughs> Will too I mean this guy is just a pompous ass oh yeah oh Cutler Beckett he also has like well he doesn't have this need to get flustered and he doesn't need to get loud or hysterical he simply has to calmly tell the soldiers what to do and like the pharaoh it happens. So let it be written. So let it be done. He's just a calm, I'm in charge guy. Yeah. The arch villain persona, I mean, who's currently holding all the cards and he doesn't realize that anything can take him down. He thinks he's above the law. He thinks he's bulletproof. So for now, he's unstoppable. At least that's how he's being portrayed. Plus, it makes the audience despise him a bit. And he really gives us that shock that both Elizabeth and Will are under arrest. What is going on here? But anyways, great line and delivery by Hollander. That's my take on it. Yep. Anything else on your end? Nope, that's I mean, it I, for me. I hope the dogs were actually quiet enough in the studio today. Yesterday, it was like a jingling <laughs> fiasco. There's jingle bells in here, for God's sake. It was <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I took their collars off Thank today. Thank God. It's like, and then, my God. I mean, sometimes it's like, why do we bring them in here? But then they'd want in, and it's just insane. They sit down so, da- downstairs and bark. and <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so hopefully it's no jingle bells today. So that's it. That's our week five. We actually made it through the first week without any more lies. We actually delivered. We delivered on that uh, one promise. So it's like we can forget all the other broken promises, like the train wreck of broken promises, and we can focus on the one that was actually delivered. Exactly. It's about damn time. So we'll be back on Monday with minute six of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, you filthy bilge rats, it's the weekend, so let's do all our best to keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Well, a weekend minimum, so let the grog flow. Hopefully we'll be back on Monday. Uh, it's possible. We'll see. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed. Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and season two is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, soundcloud.com slash pirates of the caribbean that's for best of clips and by all means give us a plug and review on itunes we'd appreciate it mateys oh and let's not forget the facebook cursed crew listeners group for post episode discussions that's actually a lot to remember especially if you're in a foggy haze like heather just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button perhaps i should have just said that from the beginning This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bildrats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... 
That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest, well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.